good afternoon. <laughs> so, it's a little scary being here. And uh, I was thinking this morning during Pastor Joe's sermon, and we were laughing about his kids and their, the different ways they tried to coerce their parents into doing things and how funny it is, because I recognize those from raising children and having grandchildren. Um, and then I just started thinking about what it must be like for God when we start having our little pity parties and, our, and you know, putting our little head down saying, we didn't get what we wanted, Daddy, you know? And it just made me laugh to think what, what it must be for him. But we have such a good and loving God. He's always doing for us what is the very best. And if you don't like it, lump it. Because <laughs> in the end, it's good. <laughs> it always is. So um, now my Laura and Aaron have asked me long ago that they wanted me to write up my testimony because they keep the testimonies of their parents and their grandparents and uh, everyone. They keep them for the, you know, their kids and their posterity. And I said, oh, well, sure, I'll do that, but I never did. <laughs> so, so this was an opportunity for me um, to do that. And so, um, so as it starts out, that's a little bit what you hear. So in these paragraphs, you will find the testimony of how I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. It is my early history leading to my salvation. It is really his story, not my history, but his story of how God showed me the truth about Jesus. I was raised in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I considered myself neither a southerner or a northerner. I was from the Midwest. So, you know, as we moved around the country, I was so shocked when people considered us northerners. What? No, I'm from the Midwest. We have corn. That's that, you know, cows. That, that's what it is. So uh, my parents were wonderful people who loved me very much and whom I always loved and respected. My mother was a churchgoer and made sure my brother and I were in church every Sunday. She really had a lovely voice and she loved singing in the choir. And um, I remember going and sitting in the choir loft um, and <laughs> we would, they would sing the hallelujah chorus at Christmas time. And so my brother and I are playing on the steps and you know, who comes in on the pause? Us kids. <laughs> we put in that extra hallelujah in the pause. <laughs> so, uh, and everybody laughed. So, but we were there every Sunday and for choir practice too, a lot of times. My dad was a busy doctor and was working most Sundays. Um, I think, and my mom always kind of wondered if that was on purpose, if he took that on purpose so that he didn't have to go to church because I never knew if my dad was saved. Um, he was a World War II vet. He was a medical doctor on a ship, um, mostly based in Saipan. That ship was, I've read, I just read through his letters a couple years ago back to my mom, and that ship was a mostly metal. It was a repair ship, and it was so hot on that ship. Someone on the ship got a dog, and eventually they weren't able to keep the dog because the, the heat of the ship just burned the dog's paws, and they couldn't 
you know, the dog couldn't, it wasn't good for the dog anymore to be on that ship. But in those letters, you would think, here he is in the middle of war, and they had kamikaze hits um, on that ship. Uh, people died, but you know, I don't see a lot. Of, there was nothing about my dad and his trust in the Lord or obedience to him. Um, he talks about my mom's faith and the faith that she has, but he doesn't talk about his own faith. And so I don't, I don't really know. We talked about it. As after I became a Christian, we did talk about it, um, but I don't know if he ever, and then he died of a heart attack rather suddenly, don't know if he ever received the Lord. But um, I only remember being in church as a family on Easter and Christmas. And if the minister of our Presbyterian church preached longer than his usual 15 minutes, just 15, Pastor, my dad would look at his watch and shake it. I'm sure that was a little intimidating. Like, you're going way over, boy. <laughs> so um, my brother and I attended Sunday school and VBS and youth group. I loved it all, and I never complained about going. I considered myself a Christian and a good person. When I was 12, all of those in my age group, all of, all of those at that age, were placed in a special Sunday school class um, it took the place of regular Sunday school, and we were there for one hour for six weeks. And after that time, they had a short ceremony in church where we, as a group, answered certain questions, and then we were placed in membership of the church. That was how it worked. And um, so I don't remember anything about the class. I don't remember learning a thing. But my mom made me a pretty white eyelet dress for the occasion. So uh, I did have a thirst to know more about God in the Bible, and I remember listening to preachers on the radio on Sunday nights. And um, just in my room, all by myself, um, one of Herbert W. Armstrong. I mean, he was, he was sort of a cult pastor. Ted W. Armstrong, his son, you know. Um, but there were some others that were more, more worthwhile to listen to, but I remember specifically hearing them, and I decided that I wanted to read through the Bible. And so I think I may have made it to Leviticus. And that was like, I'm not going beyond that. I mean, I'm in Bible Study Fellowship. Um, I started with Bible Study Fellowship after Dick's dad died. I just had such a, you know, really, I didn't think it would affect me that way, but there was just a big hole in my life after his dad died. And so... Um, a friend of mine had been in Bible Study Fellowship, so I started Bible Study Fellowship, and, and it has been very worthwhile. One of my group members in the class in which I was in one year, we had to read Leviticus. And so we've, we, we trudged our way through it, and her comment was, well, I did finish it, but I am never reading that again. And so um, maybe she got a little bit bogged down by the mold here and this kind of mold there or, you know, this leprosy with this, this particular white spot or, you know, there was a, there's a lot in Leviticus that you have to study out. But um, so I didn't get very far with my reading through the Bible. But I do remember one Sunday um, driving home with my mom and we were talking about the sermon 
And I remember we both liked the sermon, but my mom said, I don't understand what they mean about redemption. And of course, I didn't understand that either. So now I look back at that and I say, see, my mom, my mom didn't understand either. My mom was probably, I don't know, 45, 50 years old, always raised in church. She didn't understand redemption. So um, as I think back on the experience in the church in which I grew up, I realize that I heard parts of the gospel, but I never heard the whole gospel. And there was never an altar call. That, that was not done. It, it wasn't even thought of in that church. Um, I would say that I believed in God and Jesus, but sort of like I believed in George Washington. You know, they, I was sure they were real, but they didn't have much effect on my daily life. So things really changed for me spiritually when I went away to college. I attended a Lutheran school, and the college had a, a campus worship service. I'm just kind of an aside here. The Lutheran pastor led us in singing the liturgy, and the liturgy was kind of his proclaiming um, doctrine from Scripture, and then the congregation would sing. He had a beautiful voice, and so he actually, I've been in other churches where the pastor didn't sing, but he had a great voice, so he would sing it, and we would respond with our praises to the Lord and our commitments. That was really beautiful, and I just, I really loved it. Um, so that, that was new for me and different and probably caused me to grow a little closer to the Lord. Um, okay. Also, because of this school being a religious school, we were required to take a course on religion as freshmen. And I was expected to read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Have any of you read that? So um, he was an apologist, and it caused me to understand Christian doctrine in a more complete way. His chapter on pride really convicted me, and even though I know it's something that I still struggle with today, I, I realized in a new way the depth of my sin. And that God keeps revealing to me and I think that so often people have this conception that as you grow in Christ and you become more like Christ, that you're, you're going to sin less. Well, yes, I probably do sin less, but God's revealing to me all the time sins I didn't even know about before that are in my life. And so I think that's a little bit of a misnomer that um, we're going to see less sin in ourselves. We probably will realize what's really in our hearts all the more. Um, still, there was no change in my life. I still did not understand how to be saved. I still felt I was already a Christian. Somehow, I got invited to a campus Bible study. We're, we're talking back in the 70s, which was such a time of unrest in the country. I mean, there was rioting everywhere about the Vietnam War and there's a lot of rebellion, uh, a lot of bell-bottom pants, a lot of, you know, uh, just um, a lot of concern. But there was also the Jesus movement that happened right around the same time, which 
I don't know, I think it was maybe these kids looking for real love. What is, I mean, there was all this free love, but that wasn't real love. Real love is only found in Christ. So I think as people were looking for that real love, that is where what the Jesus movement sprung out of. So I was invited to this campus Bible study, and there I could not help but notice the participants were different from other churchgoers I knew. They seemed to know God in a personal way and depend on him in their everyday lives. And I sensed that they had something that I didn't have. So in February of that year, the study was invited to go to Wayne State Teachers College in Wayne, Nebraska. You've probably never ever heard of I don't know that I've heard of them much since either. It's a little town, little school. I don't even think they have such things as teachers' colleges anymore. Um, so we were there to hear a special speaker from Campus Crusade for Christ. This man was an evangelist and actually gave an entire gospel presentation. As far as I know, that's the first one I ever heard in my whole life. And I remember thinking that when he explained that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, that's why Jesus died on the cross? I didn't know. I didn't know why. Why did he die on the cross? It was for me. But I, it was never shown to me like that. So at last, the sacrifice of the perfect Son of God on the cross for the sin of the world was clear to me, and I saw my need. He asked if anyone would like to receive Jesus as Savior to raise their hands, and I immediately responded. I was so grateful to finally understand the gospel, the missing piece of Christ's redemption, that word redemption, that um, my mom and I talked about so many years before was really what I needed. And just an aside, while I was at school, my mom was invited to a neighborhood Bible study, and she got saved right around the same time as I got saved, which was just God's gift. And so we had so much to share uh, from that point on. So what a change it made in my life. I was constantly aware of God's presence and now would talk to him throughout the day. And the Bible came alive to me, and I loved to read it. Jesus became my constant companion. He always knew me, but now I knew him. I've been redeemed. Did you want to do yours and then talk about it? You don't want to talk about it now. Good afternoon. Well, I too was raised in Nebraska. We did get here as soon as we could. <laughs> Been here a little over 20 years now, longest place we've ever lived. I was raised in a good family with an older brother and two younger sisters in Nebraska, but no one was saved. Uh, one year, my mother tried to start a Bible reading in our family. She had a big Bible, family Bible, but it didn't last very long. Um, lack of enthusiasm on us kids' this part, I suspect, but I'm not sure. So I went through high school and then the Air Force and then the University of Nebraska where I obtained my electrical engineering degree, and I subsequently was hired by Motorola in Scottsdale, Arizona, where they put me in the integrated circuits group. 
I was actually trying to get a job in, in analog circuitry. They put me in digital circuitry, just like the Air Force, you know, put you in a different area than what you wanted to be in. But it was for the better. And so I subsequently, um, uh, well, I eventually became a project leader at Motorola there. And um, one day the subject of abortion came up. And I thought, I should have a definitive uh, answer, understanding of what I need to do there. And I didn't. So I'm thinking, there's something missing here. And so, um, so I was missing that conviction. And so one day I asked God, if you're there, show me. And I was uh, lonely. I was down there by myself. And I, I thought, well, God of miracles. I said, um, and also, could you show me through somebody I could love? Well, that was topping of the cake, right? Uh, I want to read uh, Matthew. Uh, seven, seven through nine. So here's an uh, heathen. Okay, I don't didn't know the Lord. I'm just asking him, Lord, if you're there, show me. So Matthew seven seven says, "Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth." And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And we all know Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at, this is Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. And I truly was seeking the Lord with all my heart. And so I joined a bunch of different, not all at the same time, but Bible studies. I went, this church had a Bible study, this church had a Bible study, and I, so I went to the different ones. And, and I really felt like the answer lied in, wasn't sure, but if I could authenticate the Bible, I would be in good shape. I would be on my way to knowing God. So I went to several of the Phoenix Bible studies and different churches um, and uh, trying to find out if the Bible was authentic. And um, not, to no end, none of them talked about the Bible. So then um, my boss called me in one day and says, you know, there's a, he knew I was looking for a job. I was in an integrated circuits group, but I was looking for a systems job. And um, I was down here at the you know, the bottom level, the digital part, and and um, so he was offered a job by NCR in Wichita, Kansas. He says, "I can't take it." He says, "My wife's in dressage, you know, the horse thing, where you touch the horse right way." And he was riding the horse one day, full blast, and all of a sudden it planted. Off he went, and. Um, yeah, if you don't know dressage, you shouldn't ride a horse that knows dressage because you might end up on the ground rolling around. That's what he did. So uh, he re he referred me to that job in uh, Wichita, Kansas, and 
and I had been looking at other jobs, and so I, and I had other offers, so I went, um, I decided, wow, that looks, that sounds like a really good job. So I went up there, and they were looking for someone to start an integrated circuits group and to shrink their, their disk controllers into uh, chips and, and so they could be more competitive. So once in Wichita, I found the city was fairly updated. So I found an apartment nearby and started pulling together an integrated circuits group. And one day I went to the apartment office to uh, pay my rent and there was a girl in there. She was adding, uh, switching from a two bedroom to a three bedroom because she had the, another girl wanted to move in with them and so there was a third roommate. And so I was listening to their conversation and they were talking, they ended up after doing their business, they talked about uh, their churches. And so I asked, well, after they were done, I asked them, well, what church did you all go to? I'm figuring if I could find a church that would cover the Bible in one year, then that would, that would help me to, to make my decision about the Bible. And uh, so after a while, we got that done with. And, and so the, the other girl looking for a, root, uh, a third bedroom apartment was Valerie. So she turned around, head out the door, and the girl behind the desk said, wait, 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 Valerie. Aren't you going to get his phone number and invite him to church on Sunday? <laughs> well, she turned three sheets of wind, uh, of red, and um, so I gave her my number, and during the week, she called me the next week. She was calling me, and she said, hey, I have a group of, of people from the church uh, coming over, and we're just going to have hamburgers and stuff. Why don't you come on over on Friday night? I said, sure, be happy to. So Friday night rolls around, and I'm late. I had some stuff I had to finish up at work, and finally I got there. Everybody had finished eating. So here I was, eating hamburgers and corn on the cob in front of everyone. How do you eat corn on the cob nicely, you know? So I... Uh, they got to know me a little better, and so she felt comfortable with taking me to church on Sunday. So we went to church, and after that we went to um, have lunch with her friends, which some of several which I knew. And then we got back to the apartment complex, and we were, you know, both in the same apartment complex, of course. And and so we it was a really great way to walk around that that uh, facility. So we we went for a walk. And she pulled evangelism explosion on me. Dr. D. James Kennedy, if you remember him, he had, he said, if you died, where are you going to go? And if you go to heaven, why would God let you into his heaven? That's pretty much it. So um, she, she quickly learned that I was, well, I was going nowhere, but, uh, but I was serious about uh, learning about the Bible. And she picked that up, and so she subsequently uh, provided me with Bear Christianity by C.S. Lewis, know, know Why You Believe by Paul Little. And then eventually she came up with uh, a couple books. Well, before that, let me back up a little bit. So I read those books, and then she had a friend, uh, Dan Stewart, who lived across the street from the apartment complex, an older gentleman, 
and he, uh, he found a uh, thing called discipleship evangelism. And he wanted, he heard that I was searching for Christ, and, and so Valerie uh, talked to him on a regular basis, and so um, he invited me over, on over once a week. Uh, certain night, we all agreed on, and I came over there, seven to nine or something like that. And so it covered the origin of the Bible, the theme, the person, and the relevance of the Bible. I thought, perfect, that's just what I'm looking for, something to cover the Bible. And so uh, I was excited about it. Um, however, I didn't get enough data for my engineering mind. You know, we live on data. So through the process, um, I was seeing Valerie quite a bit, just bringing books over and stuff. And um, so, so in, the, in our relationship, she always asked me, she says, are you sure I'm not interfering with your relationship with the Lord? And I said, no, we're just, I'm gathering data, you know. <laughs> and so so um, then she came over with the books, Evidence Demand a Ver Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, and More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He wrote a second book. And uh, Josh went out to try to discredit the Bible. And instead, uh, his documented facts um, Found out he found out the Bible was real, and he documented all these facts, which was just what I was looking for. And uh, I finally had what I needed to determine that the Bible was true, but I didn't know what was in it. So the next Sunday we went to church, and uh, Valerie took me to the associate pastor, and he said, "Dick, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and is he is your Savior?" And I said, "No." He said, I'll tell you what I would like you to do. I'd like you to go read the book of John. Do you have a Bible? I said, yeah. Valerie provided me a Bible. The book of Romans and the book of 1 John, and which you know I was reading from the time I got home from work till I went to bed. So I was studying all that time. And so to read those few books of the Bible was, was not a problem for me at all. So, um, so one day, I'll make this a little shorter, we just, um, I, I decided that I was starting to really get into this, because once I read the book of John, 1 John and, and Romans, I started, the spirit started <laughs> working on me. And so I called Valerie and I said, hey, I think we better, I was, I was uh, very fond of her, so I decided, well, we better, maybe cut off our relationship for a little while. So we did. Well, C.S. Lewis, he was an apologist, and he said in so many words that Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. And I knew that he was Lord because of all the documented miracles that Jesus had done. And I was, so I was driving home one day, and there was a car went by with a bumper sticker, and it said, Jesus is my co-pilot. I said, that's what I need, my co-pilot. I said, I would have accepted Christ a long time before if I would have known I could have just made his co-pilot, but I could have him as my co-pilot, but that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants your heart. He wants you to trust him totally and give up everything for him, which was the hard part that I was finding. 
it was hard, hard to do. So, and I was thinking maybe that's Satan trying to throw me off with that license, with that bumper sticker. And so, at and so it was basically making making me an idol, you know, it was creating a new idol for me as me, you know, making me the idol and and not trusting in Christ, having him as my co-pilot. So, uh, so I, I I didn't leave that. And um, then I thought about my situation. I said, well, I learned about the Bible, and I learned what's in the Bible. So what's holding me from accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior, trusting him? Because I trust, I, I believe in him. Uh, so I had to do some little um, search in my heart. And what I found was pride. Um, I wouldn't accept Christ because my brother, older brother who I uh, admired would laugh at me, and, or I thought. And so I said, well, I'm not going to go to hell because my brother's going to laugh at me. So I, I just right there at the spot, just, just driving home, I accepted Christ as my Savior, Lord and Savior. I asked him to come in and be my Savior. So I, uh, I got back, I called Valerie, and I said, Valerie, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and is he your Savior? And she said, yes. I said, well, I accepted Christ as my Savior too. So, uh, so then after this discussion that we had, uh, I, wondered, I wondered if the Lord was going to answer the second part. He showed me himself. He showed me who he was, and I believed in him. And so I asked him one morning, uh, well, first of all, I had to die. I had to die to that because I had to give her up because I wasn't sure that's what he wanted for me. So then I asked him, I said, well, Lord, you know, is, is she the one for me? And um, I opened my, I had a devotional, uh, I think it was a Moody Bible Institute one, wasn't it? Agape Ministries. No, it was Agape Ministries. And I opened it up for that day, read the first verse, nothing. Second verse. It said, Philip 419, stand for Philippians 419, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And it just jumped off the page. I said, whoa. Well, I'm very suspect. So I said, well, we're going to have to figure out, you know, if that's really God speaking to me or if just I happen to see that verse. Well, on that morning, on the way to work, um, a song came on that my cousin sang at my grandparents' 50th anniversary, wedding anniversary. And it was called 16 Candles, and he, he modified it a little bit. And it goes something like this. 16 Candles makes a dream come true forever and ever. And I don't remember the rest. So I wondered what 16 meant. 16 candles. Why would the Lord give me the 16 number? So I thought, oh, it was almost like a couple days before the 16th of November. And I said, well, 
I'll see if Valerie's available on the 16th. And if she is, I'll ask her to marry me. It's kind of a fleece, right? And so, so I called her up. I said, Valerie, um, are you able to meet, uh, I think it was a Friday, um, would you meet, meet that evening? She said, no. The three of us girls are going to sing on Sunday, and we're going to practice on that Friday evening. I thought to myself, oh, brother. I said, well, how long, how long are you going to practice? Well, until about 7.30 or so. Oh, I said, would you be able to come over after that? Yeah. Okay, so she came over and eventually asked her to marry me. She said yes. So I wondered what the devotional said about Philippians 4.19, and I, again, it jumped off. Philip, our associate pastor, 419 was April 19th. So I asked Philip if he would marry us on April 19th. And so it was a Saturday, of course. And so um, this was in 1980. So we did. We got married on uh, April 19th. And uh, we have in our rings, as engraved, Philip 419. So I have another story for you. Uh, one day, Valerie's mother came down to visit. She was from Omaha, and as she mentioned earlier, and I had uh, fixed her car. Her father had been had passed away years earlier, and, she, and and Valerie's mother said she had been out a few other times, so we got to know each other. She said, "You know, Valerie could use a young man like you." Again, Valerie turned six shades of color red. And uh, looking back, I see how God brought Valerie from Nebraska to South Dakota and then to Wichita so I could find him and Valerie and I could find each other. So he's faithful to hear our prayers. And uh, the interesting thing is, is uh, God had to search the whole world over to find the right girl for me because I asked. And he did. So, so I just wanted to mention that, you know, I was um, raised in a family that no one knew Christ. So during this time that I was seeking the Lord, my sister Jean was praying for me. Her and her husband became missionaries. She, she really started it all. She, she, she found Christ early and she tried to tell us about it. And uh, so they were with YWAM and they were in Austria and were, went to, they were at a place called the Welthaus, the World House. And um, she and her husband were, were smuggling Bibles and they were spreading the word and, and they would, the people in the Welthaus were praying for me every day. So God's prayers, God answers his prayers, we know that. And uh, then my, my parents, when my mother passed away, she, she wrote a letter to us, all kids, the three of us, four of us. My brother passed away after that. But she said, uh, 
look at Isaiah 55:11 real quick. So my word, so so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereto I want it. So my parents, in this letter, my mother left me. She said, your dad and I accepted Christ from Jim and Tammy Baker <laughs> on TV. Jim and Tammy Faye, and um, she told me when and all that, which I don't didn't go look it up. But uh, so they accepted Christ, and then my brother, well, my sister, my sister was the second one, my older sister first, then my younger, then the next sister, and then uh, I accepted Christ, and then my we worked on my brother, uh, explained Christ to him, and uh, he accepted Christ as well. So our whole family accepted Christ. So anyway, so I just see God being uh, faithful and me, you know, not being a, a Christian at the time, just, you know, as, as the scripture says, knocking it, you know, seeking you shall find, knocking it shall be given unto you. And, and God is there to answer the call for anyone who really wants and his heart searching for him. So, okay, uh, we'd like to, uh, um, we, we don't have much time. It is almost three o'clock. Okay, is we'll make it. Ends at three, right? Okay, okay, we'll make it real short. Um, Brian and Susan Portwood came to this church um, about a year ago, I guess. Oh, huh? it was a year and a half, right? It was before COVID. Okay. And they were in desperate need. They needed some help with their rent, and they had half of it, but they didn't have the other half. And one of the members here um, said, well, I can cover that. So they covered it. And then after that, so um, after that, they had more needs and so forth. And so we, we, we bought, them, bought them groceries and different things. And... Um, and then we prayed for them, and we we prayed for favor. They were mostly financial need, but they have health issues too. And um, and so all of a sudden, God started showing them favor, and I mean, He just favored them. <laughs> the God kind of favor, you know, with all different Helped places. Them pay their bills. I mean, they uh, and they were He. Um, Brian didn't work a lot this is the, the I guess the, what we're talking to you about here is how we had this view of discipleship is sitting down with somebody and the Bible and asking questions and seeking what the Bible says and to me that's discipleship but this couple we never I mean we tried we tried to meet with them numerous times and it never worked they could never do that but they would call and, and they would talk to us and they would tell us their problems and we would give advice. And I, I, the, the more they talked to us, I think um, 
Valerie reached out to Susan more than I reached out to Brian. Although, well, I don't think that's true. But anyway, uh, we 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 worked with them both, and pretty much um, they kind of they kind of came over to our way of thinking. I really think um, so. As looking back at it, Brian came from a very dysfunctional family, and his father. I mean, there there was a. a huge thing that happened in their family. His, the, the father coerced Brian to do a horrible thing. And there was a trial and his dad went to jail and he probably went to the juvie. I don't know, he never told us about that. But um, anyway, uh, I really think that Dick was his father figure, you know? We, we just recently saw the movie Show Me the Father, which, I mean, if you could get it without going to the theater, it would be good. It's the Kendrick, it's a documentary by the Kendrick brothers that did um, the giant movie, Facing, Facing the, giants. the Giants and Courageous and War Room and, uh, you know, uh, so they're, they're Christians and they're interviewing men about their fathers and some of them were good. You wouldn't believe Jim Daly's background, the focus on the family guy. Horrible background. And then some of them had good backgrounds, but all of them were seeking the father. And it talks about the role of the father to show, the role of the father is to show his children the father. And so I really feel that's what Dick was doing in Brian's life, was really being a father and showing Brian the father. And so even though we never said, you know, we didn't sit down and go over the Bible with them, just the little bit we did, God used. And so, you know, I look back and I think, well, you know, what's kind of discipleship? So I'm just doing, you know, just, just to encourage you that um, you, you never know what. When Brian was having headaches and a lot of different things, and he went to the ER. He went to the ER several times. First time they, they went in, he, they found that his carotid arteries were pretty well clogged, almost 80%, and the other was 85%. And um, so they, they offered him surgery, but he was a little leery of it right at, at that time, and so he didn't get it. And he didn't have an insurance card, actually, right then, but he got one later. And then he, he had another incident and he went to the um, ER and they did all kinds of tests and stuff and they came back and said, your carotid arteries are, are the least of your problems. Whoa. And um, they said, your aorta is clogged. And so he went on a, they said, you have to get be on warfarin for a certain period of time and so forth. Yeah. Anyway, Brian ended up dying. Okay, he didn't make it. And uh, later they told Valerie. They told, um, they told Susan, they, they had the same primary care doctor and she went in to see him. And he was someone, you know, when you're in the system, you don't know if these doctors are really on your side or not. But this guy really cared about this couple, um, which is amazing too, because they're, you know, uh, needy, very needy. And, but he told Susan, there's not a doctor in the world that would have touched him with a knife with all of the issues that he had, so. So Brian, he loved Susan and um, 
And, and I asked him one day, you know, one of his times to the ER, I said, Brian, I said, you know, will it happen when you die? He said, I'll be with Jesus. So I knew he was saved. And we talked to him about it before, but I just wanted, you know, he's in the ER now and the things were getting serious. So I asked him and he said he did. So Brian went to be with the Lord and Susan had, had relatives in, in Kentucky. And so she went to Kentucky with him, with her, or actually her aunt came out to help her move. So anyway, I just wanted to give you a report. Uh, a couple that came to the church was helped immensely by the church and then, um, came to know the Lord. She had known the Lord from... Um, time she was a teenager. Teenager. And Pretty much um, backslidden, but... Campus crusade thing too, no, wasn't it? No, her, her dad was miraculously saved out of alcoholism and became a Christian, and she watched him turn from, from black to... I mean, just overnight. And he was became a Gideon, uh, you know. So she was raised like that, she, but... I don't know if she got away from the Lord, but she was saved. Right. She is saved. So thank you all for listening. That's the end of that report. <laughs> <laughs>